Morning, church. Today's Bible reading will be on John um, chapter 9, verse 1 to 41. And that could be found in your Bible, uh, page 1525. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they said, sent for, this, for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of, uh, who would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Uh, sorry, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they heard insult at him and said, 
you are his fellow disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you, Eric. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you uh, again. Uh, as I was walking around this morning, uh, three people came up to me and said, you look 10 years older. So uh, if we have met before, and if we have not met before, my name is Chen, uh, and I'm one of the ministry apprentices here. Uh, welcome along, especially uh, if you're new with us. Uh, we are going to power through uh, the passage uh, in front of us this morning, so do keep your Bibles open with John 9 in front of you, and please make sure that you have a handout uh, handy as well. Uh, let me pray as we get into God's Word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We ask that as we sit under your Word, that it might give us sight to see Jesus so that we might have life in his name. Amen. Well, as we begin, uh, here's a quick recap of uh, where we're up to in this series. So in chapters 1 to 8, Jesus has been performing many signs. We have seen him turning water into wine, healing the sick and the paralyzed, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. All amazing signs that has been done so that we, my belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in His name, we might have life in His name. Now, in John chapter 8, during the Festival of Tabernacles, against the backdrop of many great candles that light up the courtyards of Jerusalem, Jesus declares that He is the light of the world, and that whoever follows Him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the backdrop in the lead-up to John 9. Now, John 9 progresses kind of like a West End or Broadway play. So I've split the chapter up into five scenes. So starting with scene one then, a blind man sees. The curtain is pulled up and the stage light fades in. Jesus comes on scene and comes across a man that has been blind from birth. Immediately, Jesus' disciples ask, Whose sin is it that this man was born blind, thinking that sin had caused this man's blindness? 
But Jesus rejects that this was the case for this man. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Rather, Jesus points out, this happened that so that the words of God might be displayed in him. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter who sinned, because you are about to see the works of God displayed in this man. Jesus then spits on the ground, makes some mud with his saliva, and puts the mud on the man's eyes. He tells the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man with mud all over his eyes listened and obeyed. And what happened? The man came home seeing. Now, uh, if you feel comfortable, uh, close your eyes and imagine this with me. Colors, objects, food, nature, the faces of loved ones, all the things that we who have sight might have taken for granted, this blind man couldn't see. All he has ever experienced since birth was darkness. Then Jesus comes along one day, puts mud on his eyes and tells him to go and wash. He obeys. He walks cautiously into the pool and as he clears the mud and water from his face, the darkness vanishes. Okay, you can open your eyes. Can you imagine the immense joy and happiness that he would have felt? But I don't want us to just focus on what the blind man felt because there is something far greater to give our attention to and that is the almighty power of Jesus. Without medicine, Jesus cures an incurable disease, something that nobody has ever heard of. Are you seeing the almighty power of Jesus? Not everyone, however, will respond positively to Jesus' power and authority, as we will see later in this story. Now, up until this point, Jesus has been making all the initiative. He's the one that sees the man, makes the mud, puts it on the man's eyes, instructs the man, and heals him. But now, Jesus is going to leave the scene, and he won't step back on stage until the very last few scenes, even though He's going to be the center of attention. So, the stage light fades out, the scene changes, and we're brought into the second scene. How will your eyes open? Scene two then. So the stage light fades in, and the murmur of a disagreement fills the air. The neighbors of the now healed man, and those who had seen the man in the past, uh, are unsure. If this man now with sight and all is the same man that they've always known to be blind. Well, the blind man puts an end to their confusion by insisting, verse 9, I am the man. Can you imagine the astonishment of the neighbors? And so they ask, how were your eyes opened? And the man tells them plainly, verse 11, well, Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and wash, and then I could see. Now notice how the man uh, refers to Jesus in verse 11, right? To the healed man, at this point, Jesus is just the man, right? He doesn't know anything about Jesus and probably hasn't 
even seen him before. All he knows about Jesus is that he has been the talk of the town. Now, there's clearly more for this man to know, but keep this fact about how Jesus, about how the man refers to Jesus at the back of your head. Because as we journey through this narrative, we'll see this man's view of Jesus miraculously change. Well, naturally, the neighbors want to know, where is this man? Where is this Jesus? I mean, wouldn't you want to know where Jesus was if you heard he could heal even those who were born from, uh, who were blind from birth? Yes. But, and to the dismay of the neighbors, verse 12 the blind man doesn't know. And that's it. That's the second scene. The stage light fades out again. The stage changes for the third scene, a tense trial. Scene three then. Now, the third scene plays out like a courtroom drama. This is the longest scene, uh, and I've broken it down to, three, to the three main interactions. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to make a few observations about each uh, interaction. And so, the stage light fades in for the first interaction between the healed man and the Pharisees, who are a group of Jewish religious leaders. Now, the interaction, which probably began without any malicious intent, intensifies quickly because, as John whispers to us in verse 14, Jesus had made the mud and healed the man on a Sabbath. Two activities that the Pharisees saw as work, and therefore breaking their Sabbath laws. Anyway, this made the Pharisees want to know how the healed man had received his sight. So the blind man recounts what happened to him as it was. Verse 15, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. It's all very matter-of-fact. The man's response, however, divides the Pharisees. One side, adamant that Jesus is not from God because he doesn't keep their Sabbath laws, and another side questioning how a man not from God could even perform such a sign. Now notice how the Pharisees, all the Pharisees ever cared about when it came to their Sabbath laws, not God's laws, mind you, was around the issue of work. The Pharisees think that Jesus is a sinner because he did work on the Sabbath. Here's the thing, though. The Sabbath was never just about rest. And it was never about inactivity. It was about bringing blessing. And it was about being righteous and faithful. It was, at the heart of it, about following God's example and remembering what he had done for the Israelites. By the time of Jesus, however, the Jewish leaders and Pharisees had completely lost sight of the true purpose of the Sabbath. Well, coming back to our text, the Pharisees are now at an impasse. And so they ask the man who he thinks Jesus is, hoping that his response will settle their division. And so the man answers, verse 17, he is a prophet. Now this answer doesn't satisfy the Pharisees, so they summon for the man's parents. And this bring, brings us to our next interaction, 
between the parents and the Pharisees. Now, you might be wondering, why, why the parents? Well, the Pharisees summoned the parents because if they could prove that this man was never blind in the first place, then this man's claim that he was healed by Jesus would be false. And at worst, Jesus was just a con man. So the Pharisees asked the parents, how is it that their son, whom they claim to be blind from birth, can now see? To which the parents respond, verses 20 to 21, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now, parents, if you're looking to the Bible for parenting advice, this is not a passage to look at or to follow after. Without hesitation, the parents just threw their son under the bus. Even though they knew how and who had given sight to their son. Right? Look at me with verses, uh, at verses 22 to 23. Right? Quickly skimming over it, you can tell that the parents... Um, answered as they did because they were afraid. They were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue, which was the punishment for anyone that acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. And the parents were probably afraid of this punishment because being thrown out of the synagogue was a big deal in their culture. And so given the choice between acknowledging Jesus or, standing, or their standing in society, they chose their standing in society, and the temporary comfort that it brought, even though they had witnessed firsthand the almighty power of Jesus, even though they had clear evidence that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So, the Pharisees' plan to discredit the healed man's testimony and Jesus had failed. And they're now back at square one. But they are unwilling to back down. And so the Pharisees summon the healed man again uh, for what will be uh, their, most, their final and most gripping interaction. And immediately, the Pharisees step up the pressure by trying to manipulate the man into telling the truth. Look at me, uh, with me at verse uh, 24. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. But they don't really want the truth, do they? They only want to hear what they have deemed as the truth. Because apparently, they know that Jesus is a sinner. But their manipulation doesn't work. The healed man is completely caught up by what has happened to him because he knows that he was blind. But now he sees. It's what he keeps saying over and over again. I was blind, but now I see. Well, the Pharisees ignore the man's response and continue with more questions. But by now, they're just going round in circles. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You can almost feel the, the desperation of the Pharisees in their questions. 
Well, the man who has uh, probably caught on that the Pharisees are only interested in hearing what they want to hear uh, makes fun of the Pharisees, which uh, doesn't go down very well. So look with me at uh, verses 27 to 29. And so the man answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The Pharisees are riled up. And their consciences have clearly been pricked by this man's biting sarcasm. However, I think their consciences were also pricked because their authority was being challenged. The Pharisees declared themselves to be disciples of Moses, the one whom God spoke to. But as for Jesus, they don't even know where he comes from. The sad irony is that if the Pharisees rightly understood what Moses wrote, they would know that Moses wrote about Jesus. Remember John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40? It's printed there in your handout. So this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Aren't we seeing that same refusal here in chapter 9? Well, coming back to our narrative, the healed man finds the Pharisees' response utterly remarkable because they refuse to see something that is so blindingly obvious. The healed man then takes the facts of everything that has happened to him and lays it out before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees can't deny anything that he has brought forth. And so the man concludes, verse 33, if Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing. It's amazing. This man who was blind all his life until just a few verses ago and who didn't even know who Jesus is, is able to grasp who exactly Jesus is, able to grasp where he is from. Whereas the Pharisees are completely blind to the truth about Jesus. Anyway, this gets, all this gets too much for the Pharisees. They are clearly losing control of the argument. And instead of considering what the man has to say, the Pharisees explode with anger and they threw the man out. Well, brothers and sisters, are you seeing the respective progression and regression that the characters are making throughout this story? Through the restoration of the man's physical sight, the healed man is seeing more and more of who Jesus is, while the Pharisees are becoming more and more blind. Well, the stage light fades out once again, and the stage changes for the fourth scene. Do you believe? Scene four then. The stage light fades back in, and Jesus is back on stage. Well, hearing that the man had been thrown out, Jesus goes looking for him. 
Jesus is again the one that takes the initiative to go and look for the man. And when Jesus eventually finds the healed man, Jesus asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And amongst all the questions that this man had to put up with for the past 20, 30 verses, this was the one that mattered. Do you believe? And how, has, how does the man respond? Well, he had questions at first, but eventually, the healed man says these beautiful words, verse 38, Lord, I believe. And the man worshipped Jesus. Are you seeing how the eyes of this man were progressively opened to the truth about who Jesus is as this narrative progressed? He moves from seeing Jesus as just the man to a prophet, to himself declaring that Jesus had to be from God, and to him finally believing in Jesus as Lord and worshipping him. This man who was blind from birth, was not only given physical sight, but spiritual sight too. Well, at this point, the healed man's story comes to an end. He exits the stage and won't return again. But what a day he has had. What a day. From having his sight restored to standing trial before the Pharisees and finally believing in our Lord Jesus well, the fourth scene ends, and we come to our final scene, where Jesus explains what all of this means. So scene five then. In the last scene, Jesus is basically saying that as light of the world, he has come to illuminate everything, revealing the Father and exposing sin. Here's the thing. So for some this illumination will mean spiritual sight. And for others, it would mean spiritual blindness. The light blinds them and they turn away. Which, tragically, is, is what the Pharisees do, if verse 40 is any indication. The Pharisees are in complete denial. They just won't accept that they might be spiritually blind to the truth about who Jesus is. So the stage light fades for the final time, and the curtain closes. And that's John 9. Now we've powered through 41 verses, but what does all this mean for us? What does this mean for us here in Adelaide in 2023? Well, here are two points as we conclude. First, what you know matters. Know about what? Know about Jesus. Because as we've seen in this whole narrative, what you know about Jesus matters. Whether it's the blind man or the parents or the religious leaders, every character in this story was asked what they knew about Jesus. And their knowledge of Jesus played an important role in them seeing who Jesus is. So, what do you know about 
Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, what do you know to be true about Jesus? It's no good just saying, oh, I don't really know much, and then just leaving it at that. Because as we've seen, what you know about Jesus matters. Well, perhaps you would consider coming along for one of our Explore courses. Or even better, ask someone here about Jesus and why he matters. Now, getting to know Jesus matters because, and here's the second point, only Jesus can open spiritually blind eyes. Let me say that again. Only Jesus can open spiritually blind eyes. Spiritual blindness isn't something we develop. We don't become blind to God at some point in our lives. No, blindness is our default natural state. And so the man in the story who was blind from birth is really a picture of us in our default state. This is the reality of the thousands that walk past our doors here at 88 North Terrace. They are blind to the reality of who Jesus is. Not only that, but some even think they are enlightened. But the reality is, they are not even enlightened to the fact that they are blind. But this narrative has shown us that even the blind are not without hope. Because Jesus can open spiritually blind eyes. Here's the thing though, how are we, as Christians, responding to this hope of sight? Now that we know that we have hope for sight, are we running to the light of the world for sight? Are we, are we running to Jesus for sight? Or are we like the Pharisees, adamant that we can see just fine and claim to have all the answers even though, in reality, we are very much blind. Well, I'm hoping that most of us here are not Pharisees. Uh, we are not clueless to our blindness and wanting to wallow in darkness. But you know what? That doesn't automatically make us like the blind man because we can very much be like another character in this narrative. The parents. Like the parents, maybe we've seen firsthand the almighty power and authority of Jesus, but we won't accept the sight that he offers. We opt to remain in darkness because acknowledging that we are blind and need sight is just too hard. Maybe it's because we are afraid. Afraid of what our friends, what our colleagues what our followers on social media might think if we said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. We would much rather stay within the comfort of our own personal synagogue because it's easier. I know it can be very hard sometimes, but if we come to Jesus blind as we are, wanting sight, then know that He will give it. And having sight is far better than anything we could imagine. 
I'm sure there are people amongst us here today who can testify to that. Again, only Jesus can open spiritually blind eyes, which also means that it is His work to open blind eyes. And so, for those of us who are actively sharing the good news of Jesus with our friends and colleagues, and you're finding it tough, I hope this passage helps you to know and remember that it is Jesus' work to open their eyes. So take heart, and don't lose heart. Finally, again, if you're not, if you're not yet a Christian, and you're, you're wondering how you can ever receive sight, because you think you're too far gone, well, there is hope for sight, even for you too. Because again, Jesus is the one that opens the eyes of the blind, and He is more than capable of doing so. Even for the people with the hardest of hearts. I mean, He opened my eyes, and He opened the eyes of many people here. So if you want sight, come to Jesus today and know that He will give it. Because if Jesus could make the blind man see, then you bet that He can open your eyes too. Let's pray. I once was blind, but now I see. This is the testimony of many of us here, Father. A testament of the hope of sight that you have given to us. We thank you for that hope and we ask for your help to take hold of that hope, however that might look like in our lives, so that we might have life in Jesus' name. And Father, please always remind us of the joy when we first receive sight. And may that spur us on to desire foresight. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.